Welcome to FaithBridge Sermons Podcast. Today's sermon features teaching pastor Dan Slagle, and it was recorded on Sunday, January 30th. Thanks for tuning in. We would love the chance to connect with you. So drop us a line at podcast at faithbridge.org. And if you're in the area, join us this Sunday on campus at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. and come say hi. And you can always join us for FaithBridge online at faithbridge.org slash live. Here's Dan. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Faith Bridge. So glad you've chosen to worship with us today, whether you're here in the live service, in our communion service, or if you're coming to us online. It's great to have you in church today. We're continuing on in our sermon series in the book of Luke, and today we're going to be in chapter 4. So if you want to go ahead and turn there, we'll be reading beginning at verse 1. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Ushers coming down the aisle, they'll be glad to give you one, and that can be yours to keep if you have need of a Bible. Chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, Throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful for the privilege that we have to gather in your house, to worship you, to lift up the name of your son, Jesus Christ. As we turn our attention now to your word, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher just as you promised and guide us into all truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. When I was 10 years old, I was playing uh, out in front of our house one day when 
up comes on his brand new, super cool 1970s banana seat bicycle, Jim Clark. Now, Jim was not a buddy of mine, but we weren't enemies either. He was just a kid who lived down the street. He was kind of the neighborhood tough guy. Well, he comes pedaling up to me and says, uh, hey man, you want to go smoke a cigarette? Well, I didn't respond right away, and he perceived that hesitancy as uh, being a chicken. He said, what's the matter? Are you scared? Come on. It'll be fun. It's not going to hurt anything. Now, mind you, from the time I was born, the only thing, I mean the only thing my father ever lectured me and my siblings about was the dangers of smoking. He was an ex-smoker himself, and he never missed an opportunity to jump on that stump about smoking. And so fortified with a lifetime or at least 10 years of, of lectures, when Jim put that opportunity out there, what did I do? I folded like a rusty lawn chair, man. Yeah, <laughs> let's go. So we rode our bikes to some nearby woods, and uh, he lit the thing up and smoked my first cigarette, and it was awful. It burned my throat and my lungs, smoke getting in my eyes, watering, you know. And, but of course, I wasn't about to let on to Jim that it wasn't anything but cool to be doing this. Having never, ever smoked and, and grown up in a home where no one smoked, uh, I was clueless about the fact that smoke sticks to your clothes <laughs> and your hair and your breath. So I went home shortly thereafter, went bebopping in the back door, and it wasn't 30 seconds till my dad's like, what's that smell? You been smoking? Come here. He takes a sniff, and before you can say Jack Robinson, that belt is off, and I got the whipping of my life. And as if to put an exclamation point on it all. When he was done, he said to me, if you ever, ever do that again, I'm going to whip you till I get tired, lay down, take a nap, get up, and start all over <laughs> again. My dad is 95 years old, and I bet if he saw me with a cigarette, he probably would <laughs> follow through. I tell you that story because it illustrates perfectly the best definition of temptation I have ever seen. John Mark Comer, excellent writer, preacher, defines temptation as an appeal to believe a lie. An appeal to believe a lie. When speaking of the devil, Jesus said of him, he is a liar, he is the father of lies. When he Lies, he's speaking his, his native tongue. That's the only thing that he knows to do. That's the only thing that ever comes out of his mouth. He is the consummate liar. And so that is the tool that the devil uses to lead us into sin, to paint a picture that goes against all we know to be true and paints it so beautifully that we buy into the lie. That, that's what happened with me, with the whole smoking thing. I knew, I mean, I knew that I knew that I knew it was wrong, it was bad, I shouldn't be doing it. 
But in the moment, man, it just seemed so cool. And I discovered that it was a lie, that everything about it was a lie. He had told me it would be fun. It wasn't fun. It burned my throat, watered my eyes. He told me it won't hurt anything. Oh, yes, it did hurt something. I learned smoking is not only bad for your lungs, it is bad for your rear end, too, (laughs) in a big way. One way to think about it is, uh, let's suppose this side of the stage represents what is true, what is right, what God has ordained as true and good and right. And the other side represents a lie. The devil's strategy is to try and move us from right here over to here. And he uses everything that he possibly can to paint pictures that are so incredibly beautiful, so incredibly tempting that we will step over that line. He can't actually make us do anything. But he can mess with our minds. And he knows if he can get us to believe something, actions will soon follow. Actions always follow beliefs. And so that's where he invests his energy. That's where he invests his time. And you know, the devil is smart. He's a very powerful being. He's been observing human beings since they came along. And he doesn't just throw temptations out there at random, hoping one of them will stick. No, they are targeted. They are contextual. Pays enough attention to our lives, to the way we live and the things we think about, that in just the right moment, I mean, I'm sure you've had the experience where in just the right possible moment, here that temptation came walking down the road. That's exactly what he did with Jesus. With the first temptation, of course, Jesus has been fasting for 40 days. Scripture says he was hungry, and the devil comes along and says, Hey, man. Are you sure God really cares about you? The temptation that he is offering to Jesus this first go-round is the temptation to be self-sufficient. To be self-sufficient. You've been out here for 40 days. Where's the food? Do you really think God cares about you? I mean, if he did, surely by now he would have provided you with something to eat, but I don't see anything. You don't need God. After all, if you are really the son of God who you claim to be, you've got the power to turn these stones into bread. Don't bother waiting around for him. Do it on your own. Live your own life. Be independent. Show how self-sufficient you are. Jesus' response is telling. He says, no, you know, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to turn these stones into bread uh, because even if I did, I'm smart enough to know that life doesn't come from bread. Life comes from God. I am dependent upon God. I am not self-sufficient. I need Him in my life. And the temptation vanished like that when the truth was acknowledged 
the mirage was gone. When our oldest daughter, Georgia, was uh, four or five years old, one day she walked into the kitchen and announced to me and Becky that uh, she had decided that she was running away and wanted to know if we would help her pack a few things. Sure, okay, we can do that. So we got a little bag out and put in a you know, change of clothes and talked about the fact that she might get hungry. And so she went to her little play kitchen and got some plastic pieces of fruit and vegetables, put those in there. And uh, we walked her down to the end of the driveway and said, okay, see ya. It's been nice knowing you. Well, she made it about as far as the end of the cul-de-sac before she sat down and began to kind of reevaluate things. By this point, we had slipped back in the house watching her out the window, and uh, here she comes back down the street. She comes in the back door, and we're like, what? Hey, what, what's going on? We, we thought you ran away. We thought you thought you were gone. She said, well, I did, but, you know, I got hungry, and the plastic food, it wasn't that good, so I thought I'd come home and ask mom to make me a sandwich. Good thinking. Good, good thinking. When we make the decision to be self-sufficient, to live life on our own, we're just like my little Georgie. She did not have a clue how utterly dependent she was upon us for her survival. Shelter, clothing, food, protection, love, all of the things that she needed in order to live and to thrive, we were providing. Of course, as a four or five-year-old, she couldn't comprehend all that. Till her tummy began to hurt and she got hungry, maybe got a little scared. But when we try to live independently of God, we're just like her. We forget about everything that God provides for us and how desperately we need Him in our lives. I mean, not to mention, we wouldn't even be here in the first place if it were not for His decision to create us. And we wouldn't continue were it not for His decision to sustain us. And even beyond that, why would we deny ourselves all that God offers to us? In Matthew 6, Jesus said, if you will seek God and his kingdom first, guess what? He will provide all of your material needs. He knows that you need food and you need clothing. He's perfectly aware of that. He feeds sparrows after all. How much more then is he going to look after you? Why take that upon yourself? In Philippians chapter 4, we're told that God provides peace that passes understanding. You know, the older I get, the more I value peace. And I've learned about myself, I'm not real good at coming up with my own, especially in the middle of the night. When something is heavy on my mind, I can lie there all night long saying, peace, peace, peace. It ain't coming. But God wants to give it to us. In the book of James, chapter 1, we're told, if any of you lacks wisdom, all we have to do is ask God, and He gives generously. He gives freely. Why would I seek to live life according to my own wits, limited as they are, when the eternal, infinite creator of the universe offers to give me all the wisdom I would ever need to live? And even if I did somehow manage to provide for myself and find a little peace and be smart enough to get by from one day to the next, there's one thing God provides that I can never provide for myself, and that is life. 
life. We are finite creatures, and because of our sin, we will die. And when we die in our sins, there's no hope of life afterward. Not a life anyone would be interested in. That's why in his great mercy, as John 3.16 tells us, that God sent his only son to die for us, to be a sacrifice for us. So that any of us who chose to believe in him, who proclaimed, I can't do this on my own. I need you, Jesus. To those he gives the gift of eternal life. It is ours for the asking. The devil can paint the most beautiful mirage imaginable. That Yeah, I, I can pretty well get along on my own. You may get along for a while, but then the day is going to come when this life is over. And do you have it within you to extend your life in this existence or the next? Why turn away what God offers us so, so freely? Well, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. That one didn't work, so the devil comes up with another one. Now, as I said earlier, the devil is smart. His temptations are contextual. He sees what's going on. Temptation number one, he saw, okay, hunger's the deal here. I'm going to utilize that hunger to try and make Jesus be self-sufficient. In temptation number two, the devil knew and Jesus knew that a kingdom was coming for Jesus, that he was the king of kings, and that in due time, as he fulfilled his ministry, he would step into his own. devil steps in the picture and says, uh, hey man, uh, you are a hick. Backwards. From Galilee, for crying out loud. Nobody's going to want to hitch their wagon to you. King, why would anybody want to follow you? Listen, man. You should have what you want to have right now. Temptation number two. To have what I want to have when I want it. If you would just fall down and worship me, all of this can be yours. But thanks be to God, Jesus could see it for what it was. It said to him, you know what? I know that those kingdoms one day will all be dust, just as every created thing is. And I've been called to something greater and something higher. Yes, I've got to walk with a cross on my back to get there. But I would rather have what God wants me to have than to settle for some paltry little substitute. Here today and gone tomorrow. When I was fresh out of seminary, my first appointment was to a large uh, suburban church just outside of Atlanta. And I'd been there six or seven months when one day... Uh, a couple of folks from the choir, a man and a lady, approached me and said, Pastor, we need to talk to you about something, something really serious. And my initial thought was, oh boy, you know, they don't like the music or they're mad at the choir director or what have you. Okay, come on by. I could not have been more wrong in what the issue was. We sat down in my office and they said, Pastor, uh, some changes are coming. 
Some big changes are coming, and we want you to be aware of them. We don't want you to be caught off guard because we are absolutely convinced these changes are from God. Well, that got my attention. What's, what's God about to do? They said next week we each are going to initiate divorce proceedings against our spouses so that we can get married and begin to do ministry together. For two or three seconds, I was utterly speechless. When I finally found my voice, I said, from God? That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. Haven't you read the Ten Commandments? Thou shalt not commit adultery and, and all that stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, this is different, see. You know, we're not sneaking around and this isn't lust, this is love. Besides, you know, we've got this vision for how God is going to use us to do great things. Try as I may. I mean, they had bought in. They were squarely on this side of the stage, and they could not see anything else. Our hearts are so fickle. Something catches our fancy. Something catches our eye. And good gracious alive, it's like new car fever on steroids. We have just got to have that thing. In fact, we can't even imagine our lives without it. The day before, it never dawned on us that we needed it. But today, oh, got to have it. Got to have it. From the smallest to the biggest sorts of things. That's exactly why Jesus said... Worship God. Wherever your heart is, there will your treasure be also. That's why we gather here together to remind ourselves only God can fulfill the longing in my heart. Only God can provide me with the sense of comfort and security and peace an acceptance that I'm yearning for. No material object, no person is going to be able to do that for me. That doesn't stop us from trying, though. St. Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. And I'm absolutely convinced that the American culture is the most restless culture in all of history. Why? Because we've got access to more things than anyone has ever had, and it's not enough. We just need more and more and more trying to fill that God-shaped hole in our hearts. Anything to knock the edge off, make us feel better for just, just a little bit. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. These things will never work. Worship God. Give your heart over to him. Gather together and speak out loud your devotion to him, your commitment to him, your love for him. Receive all that he has for you. It's remarkable how spending time with God, spending time in his word, spending time in prayer, puts the fire out. And conversely, Choosing not to be with God, choosing not to be a person of the word and prayer, blows these things over here out of all proportion.
proportion. What about you? Do you want to live independently of God? Do you want to have whatever you want to have in the moment you want to have it, even if it's not what God wants you to have? Well, say what you will about the devil. He's a persistent son of a gun. He struck out two times. Here I'm going for this last one. He says to him, okay, um, so you're about to start this ministry and it's going to go worldwide, right? Well, you're going to have to do something to get people's attention. Because if you just go wandering around the country telling stories and healing people, that may create a little ruckus for a while. But man, you know, you, you got to get out there. You got to be somebody. And that was this third temptation to be somebody important, to be somebody impressive, to be somebody significant. Jesus hanging out here in the desert. No, man, here's what we got to do let's go right into town and get up on top of the temple, the highest point in all of town, and right there in front of everybody, take a flying leap. And when those angels come swooping in to catch you, holy cow, you'll have a boatload of followers right there. They'll be impressed beyond belief. Scripture doesn't tell us how long, if at all, Jesus ever entertained any of these temptations. All we know is that he successfully resisted all of them. And he successfully resisted this one. He basically said to the devil, look, I don't have to prove anything to anybody. And I'm not going to waste God's time trying to get him to convince me and everybody else of something I already know. God loves me. My value and my worth is not tied up in what I do or what I've accomplished, what I've achieved. My value and worth as a human being is tied directly to my relationship with my Father. And so I don't have to go do something spectacular and amazing. I don't have to jump off of a temple because I know I'm loved and I know I have value and worth just as I am. Jesus believed that with his whole heart, but I'm not so sure that we do. Because we work overtime trying to convince everyone how wonderful we are. Just how much we've achieved. Whether that's by the size of our house or the make of our car. Everything that's on our resume and the diplomas and degrees on the wall our attire, or how fit we are, or how beautiful we are, or how many thousands of followers we have on social media, or what our children have accomplished thanks to our wonderful parenting. You get the idea. List could go on and on about the ways that we try to convince the world, and more importantly, convince ourselves, I'm a worthwhile human being. When all the while God is saying to us, I made you. That gives you worth and value from the get-go. And if that weren't enough, I sent my son to die for you. You don't have to do any acrobatics 
You don't have to try to do something to impress everyone else or me. I was loving you all along. I was reading an article this week written by uh, Tim Keller, one of my favorite writers. And in the article, he quotes a, a journalist, a lady who had followed the entertainment industry, industry for 50 years. She had watched people come to New York and rise to stardom and fulfill all of their dreams. And then at the end of her career, she was uh, putting down on paper a few observations and about these folks, she says this, that giant thing that they were striving for, that fame thing that was going to make everything okay, that was going to make their lives bearable, that was going to provide them with the personal fulfillment and ha-ha happiness happened. But the next day they woke up and they were still them. That's why these things over here never, ever satisfy. That's why all of our vain attempts to impress other people fall short. Because regardless of what we've achieved, at the end of the day, you're still you and I'm still me. And we know how broken we are. And regardless of what we've been able to impress upon the adoring public, or the adoring next-door neighbor. Inside, we know the truth. And just because I have a diploma on the wall, that doesn't make me a qualitatively better person. And just because I've got a big, fat bank account that everyone marvels at doesn't make me a qualitatively better person. And because I've got more toys that will fit in my garage and in my storage unit, that doesn't make me a qualitatively better person. Accomplishments, achievements, God isn't impressed with any of it. You want to know what impresses God? It's a heart that says, first of all, I can't make it on my own. I know how insufficient I am. I need you, Lord. It's a heart that says, I don't have to have what I think I need to have, what I need above all is you because you've provided, promised to provide me with everything I would ever need. God is impressed with a heart that says, I don't care what anybody else thinks about me. What I care about is what you think about me. In the Old Testament, Jesus said, I mean, God said, let not the rich man brag of his riches, or the strong man boast of his strength, or the wise man boast of his wisdom. If you're going to boast, boast about this, that you know and love me. Because at the end of the day, that's what matters. In stark contrast to the father of lies, the one who can only speak lies, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You can trust me. And he proved it. He proved it by going to a cross and paying a penalty that we should have paid. He proved it by then rising from the dead. And he proved it by offering the free gift of salvation to any and all who would take it. I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. 
the devil can make what's over here look so shiny, so pretty, so attractive. But just as soon as we step over that line, we realize it was all a lie. Jesus extends an invitation to us to embrace the truth, to embrace him and all that he has to offer us. I'm sure there are any number of us here today who are probably looking at something over there. Maybe it's something big, maybe it's something small, but it's caught your attention. And you're kind of going back and forth, back and forth. Let's deal with it right now, today. Let's worship God and renew our hearts and remind ourselves that He's all we need. And there's nothing over here but lies and brokenness. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we confess to you how foolish we can be sometimes. We can be enamored of the most harmful, ridiculous, sad sorts of things. They can grab our attention and won't let go. God, we don't want that. Deliver us from temptation. Give us eyes that are fixed on you. Give us hearts that will serve no one or no thing other than you. Show us how much you love us. And where we need strength to say no, Lord, give us that strength. Thank you for your son Jesus and the example that he set for the promise of your Holy Spirit who gives us all we need to say no. We offer our prayer in strong and loving and gracious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus.